Jijinyantra. Let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Sitanam Om Namo Ayadiyanam Om Namo Ujjayanam Namo Vesavasahinam Deso Panchanamu Karu Salva Pavapanasana Mangalalancha Salvesi Paramamhave Mangalam Paramamhave Mangalam So let's give Jainism a break today and continue our exploration into financial topics, specifically crypto. The number one question people have is, how can crypto be worth anything? So let's try a thought experiment. Imagine we're all living on a desert island. Let's collect all the shells on the island and put them in a big pile. Now let's stand around that pile in a big circle holding hands, and let's close our eyes. No matter how hard we wish, we can never levitate that pile of shells using only our minds. That's because physics is a science based on rationality. However, if we all wish it to be true, we can assign a value to those shells and use those shells as money. That's because economics is a science based on psychology, an inherently irrational or dismal science. So crypto can be worth something, just like green ink printed on paper can be worth something, because they both fit the definition of money. The definition of money is anything that has three characteristics. One, a medium of exchange. That is, it's something that buyers exchange with sellers when they want to purchase goods or services. Two is a unit of account, uh, something that can be used to value goods and services, make calculations, and be a measurement of value. And in the unit of account, units of accounts have three characteristics themselves. That is, they're divisible, fungible, and countable. So divisible means that it can be divided into component parts and those component parts will equal the whole part. So you can divide a dollar into four quarters and the total value of the four quarters equals the dollar. And if you cut a bar of gold in half, uh, the two pieces together will be the same value as the original bar of gold. That is, you don't lose anything by dividing it. So in our seashell example, we can all agree that four coral shells equals one hermit crab shell and make the seashells divisible. Uh, the second one is fungible. That is, one unit is um, the same as any other unit. If I give a seller one dollar, he doesn't matter which dollar it is. I could give him a different dollar and it doesn't matter because the dollars are fungible. Uh, similar to gold. Uh, 12 ounces of gold is equal to 12 ounces of another gold. There's no difference between the two. So for uh, our seashells, hopefully all the seashells are the same as each other. We will decide that there's no difference between the two. So you can see how things like uh, other things can't work as money because they're not fungible. That is, real estate is unique based on its location. So it's not a fungible good for any other piece of real estate. So you can't use real estate as money. The third one is countable. 
Um, you can add, subtract, divide, and multiply the units, which makes for the whole industry of accounting. Uh, the third characteristic of money is that it's a store of value. A store of value is something that people use to transfer purchasing power from the present to the future. That is, you can save it. So just like seashells fit these definitions of money, crypto fits these definitions of money. But there's a fourth hidden characteristic, that is acceptance. So in our thought experiment where we all stand around and we wish on a desert island and we wish that we could use seashells as money, if we all agree that we can use seashells as money, it is money. Now, if we all agree that crypto is money, it is money. And we have passed that threshold of acceptance because of increased value. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe a majority of the world is not there yet, but there are milestones on the road to acceptance as money. And crypto has passed those milestones of acceptance. So crypto fits all the definitions of money, therefore it is money. So that's the number one question people have is, how can crypto be worth anything? Well, it's worth things, it's worth something because we all agree it's worth something. So the next question people have is, well, how can crypto be worth anything if it's not backed by anything? So the first answer is that the US dollar is not backed by gold. Rather, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. So what does that mean to you? Well, technically, it means that the United States will accept the US dollar as legal tender. But more broadly speaking, you have to decide whether that means the dollar is neutral, an asset, or a liability. And that, of course, is dependent on the behavior of the United States. So a majority of people think that the full faith and credit of the United States is an asset. But now that there's a viable alternative, the tide is turning towards seeing it as neutral or a liability. That is, now that an alternative is available outside of government control, we are seeing that governments are not the best stewards of money. And in fact, they use money as a system of control. And we're only seeing that in hindsight. Most people are only seeing that in hindsight. Of course, a few very prescient people saw it coming a long time ago. So second, um, those seashells are not backed by anything either, uh, but that doesn't mean they are not money. The only backing needed is acceptance. As we mentioned before, and we probably mentioned many times here, cash is one of the oldest stories or meta realities that we tell ourselves. In fact, it's extremely hard to pull out a $20 bill from your wallet and see it for what it is, that is, green ink printed on a durable fiber. Just like when we look at someone we love or we hate, we're not seeing them as a stranger would. When we look at money, we're not seeing the money. Rather, we're seeing our emotions instead. So let's try that right now. Okay, grab your wallet and pull out something, pull out a $20 bill or larger. So let's do an experiment. I'll wait, go grab your wallet. 
feel free to get up. You won't, uh, no problem. Sorry, Tim. I had some audio issues, but I can hear. Uh, I can hear you. All. Hopefully, y'all can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. While the while the guys are getting their uh, wallets, uh, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> just one quick question. I I, I heard you say that uh, now that we have an alternative. Uh, so I assume. From that statement, you're, you've already talked about what makes it an alternative, uh, which is like an accepted, uh, uh, it's, you know, the acceptance of cryptos is really where, as you just mentioned, is where the issue is. So are we going with the premise that it is already accepted or we are still trying to determine that it has passed uh, most of the milestones of acceptance it is inevitable that it will be accepted by the rest of the world at some point because it has passed those milestones what i mean by alternative is out of government control that is the government is not in charge of the um uh minting of the money okay so everybody's back so let's do this experiment so pull out something $20 or larger from your wallet and look at it. Okay, think about how you feel about it. You know, it's 20 bucks. There's nothing special about it. It looks so familiar and it looks so valuable. You can't see it for what it is. You are not seeing objective reality when you look at this money. You are seeing something that has been ingrained in your head for a very long time for your entire life, you are seeing your emotions projected onto this piece of paper. Remember it's, it's a, artwork. what's that? Maybe we're valuing the artwork. <laughs> the uniqueness of the 20, it looks different probably than the five or whatnot, right? Sure, absolutely. Because you value them differently. Your emotions are different when you look at a hundred or when you look at a one or when you look at a 20 or when you look at a five. But try to see it for what it is. It's a piece of paper. It's high-tech paper, okay? But it's a piece of paper. And it's got green ink printed on it, just like you would print something on your printer. It's a high-tech printer, but it's the same concept. So imagine you're ripping up this worthless piece of paper. How does that make you feel? Okay, now I want you to do something. Now put your four fingers on the top just like you're getting ready to rip it up. Okay, show me on the camera. Put your four fingers on the top, just like you're getting ready to rip it up. Does that make you feel different? It's difficult to do that. <laughs> it, is very, it is very difficult to do that, right? I do not have shame in telling you that I cannot rip up this worthless piece of paper in front of you right now. And that is indicative of a moral and spiritual failing on my part and on your part and on everybody's part. I mean, I could, right? Uh, I, obviously, this uh, experiment is worth more than this $20 to me. If you guys goaded me into that, I could easily rip this up. 
But I'm talking if I was sitting in my room alone, nobody was around me, I wasn't part of this experiment, you guys weren't encouraging me to rip this up, I would not rip this up. Sorry, Tim, a uh, quick question. Uh, sorry, you may have already covered this, but why would you call it worthless? I mean, it is a means of exchange. No, no, this is worthless. See, you're not looking at it. This is a piece of paper just like this is a piece of paper, just like this is a piece of paper. This is, in fact, worth less because it's not as big as this piece of computer paper I have. You're not seeing it. You're not, this is a piece of paper with green ink printed on it. You cannot see it. You're not looking at objective reality. You're looking at this meta reality, this lie you've been telling yourself your whole life. That's how ingrained it is. I'm trying to get you to see it and you still trying to tell me this is valuable. There is no way on earth this is valuable. If I give this to a monkey, he's not gonna value it anything. If I give this to an alien, she's not gonna value it as worth anything. This is a piece of paper with green ink printed on it. You give, you give a, a, a 20 diamond carrot to a monkey, he's not going to value it. Right, right. right. We, we have assigned values to certain things, at, you know, the system has been created to value new things. I mean, I, I don't want to get into, I mean, I hear what you're saying. If it is, I mean, there are many currencies in the world that are worthless, you know. Uh, uh, some of these African nations who got uh, inflation, you know, in the hundreds or thousands of percent, their currency gets devalued every every day. Right. So I, I hear you. I hear you. But whatever it is worth, I mean, currency is worth something. Sure. Sure. And the reason that crypto is. Um, Technically, people, the reason that people are resisting crypto is just because it's something new. It's something not as old as a U.S. dollar. But guess what? To your kids, it will be as old as the U.S. dollars because it's been around since they were born or since they could remember. Yes, Chintan. Oh, uh, just a case in point about the, the value of the dollar bill is, you know, when things shut down early on in the pandemic, uh, Despite anyone had as much money, you just couldn't spend it. So there you go. It was valueless. <laughs> so what is so revolutionary about crypto? So it's easy to say, and it's but it's hard to realize <clears throat> what it means, the significance. That is, with crypto, it's the first time I can exchange value with the person halfway around the world without a biased middleman, okay? So can you think of another example? So if I use a, something like Western Union, that's a biased middleman, all right? If I use a bank, that's a biased middleman. If I use Venmo or the Cash App or PayPal, those are biased middlemen. So what's the big deal about the biased middleman? They're not going to reject money. They accept everything, right? Like Western Union will accept everybody. So what's a big deal about biased middlemen? They don't care. Well, we live in an interesting moment of rapidly changing moral values. It's a certainty that one of your values will be out of step with people with enormous financial power. So for a recent example, 
The conservative truckers in Canada are having their GoFundMes and PayPal transactions confiscated by biased middlemen. Regardless in if you believe in their ideology, they believe they are engaged in a legitimate form of protest. So obviously wrong think is not allowed. Um, the people that think wrong thoughts are not allowed to participate in financial networks like SWIFT, international financial networks that are backed by the banks. That's how we fight terrorism. Now you're saying, but what's the big deal, Timur? I will never be a terrorist. Well, are you sure about that? The in-group defines what acceptable behavior is. And all you really have to do is consider any controversial issue, okay? Imagine your donation to a group of pro-choice organizations flags you as donating to a cause that a majority of Supreme Court justices disagree with. Imagine your donation to an anti-choice organization flags you as donating to a cause that a majority of Supreme Court justices disagree with. Imagine you're against banning books, an idea once thought defunct that is making a comeback here. Imagine you're an Indian in Africa when a new regime takes over. Imagine you're in the outgroup of South Africa or China or Russia or America. Is it really so hard to think that it can't happen to you? All right, so we talked at length about the theory. Um, before we get into the technical aspects of crypto, any questions or comments about what we talked about? Uh, Tim, uh, um, you may have covered this, but uh, acceptance of crypto uh, is as much a policy issue, right? China has banned cryptos. India has severely um, uh, curtailed the use of cryptos. They have had a thirty percent tax. So, if I if if I were an individual in China, I'm locked out. It's like a like uh, that. It, it is worthless to me, right? Uh, my my crypto account because I just can't use it. I, I can't do anything with it. I can't trade it. So the acceptance is a function of what the government will allow you to do, isn't it? Hey, but it's about the ease. Um, did you ever look at prohibition uh, in the U.S. in history? The government banned the sale and the drinking of alcohol. But it was so easy that the people did it anyway. And there's always almost no way to enforce it. So you're right in saying that a government ban in China and India affects acceptance. But even more important is that there's no way to enforce it. And so people will continue to use it despite the government ban. So you're not worried about... <clears throat> Because, you know, uh, banning something physical like uh, alcohol or maybe even gold, for example, gold, uh, that's difficult, but a digital uh, asset or a digital commodity like crypto, where it's so easily, you know, easily trackable, it's, 
you know, you gave the example of the these truckers in Canada, you know, their bank accounts are being seized. So it's very easy to 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 curtail or 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 uh, you know ban or effectively uh, manage the the ban of, of digital assets. I think uh, rather than uh, something physical, you know. You you got it flipped. It's easier to ban physical items than digital items because physical items are produced. And they have a centralized means of productions. The decentralized version of accessing the crypto network makes it much, much harder to ban than alcohol, which is unbannable because of the ease of access and the culture which um, wanted to use it in opposition to the government ban. Other questions or comments about anything we talked about? Right. And that's that's a very good point to Boris's comment about acceptance. That is, if it is broadly accepted by the people enough, like alcohol, there's no way that a government ban will work. <clears throat> Certainly, if the U.S. banned crypto and that might be happening in the future, that would set back, ex- let's call it worldwide acceptance, a number of years, perhaps a decade. But it's only that. It will only be a setback. That is, the wheels are in place for it to be inevitable at this point. Other questions or comments before we get into the technical aspects of crypto? Okay, so the specific problem the inventor of crypto solved in 2009 what is what was called a double spend problem, which is a concept similar to check kiting, if you know what that is. That is, If I transfer you a digital token representing value, how can you be sure that I won't spend the token before you have a chance to spend it? After all, I can make a copy of the digital token and access the network faster than you. Let's say if I, if I decide to and you have to and you and you'll access it 10 seconds slower than I do and you do not have that value anymore. So this is the double spend problem. So how the inventor of crypto solved this problem was via four steps. Number one, by forcing me to submit the transaction to you into a distributed ledger. Number two, forcing each transaction to be verified before being accepted by the network. Number three, forcing a proof of work algorithm to be solved before being able to submit the transaction to a, to the ledger. And number four, by making the proof of work dependent upon previous transactions so it couldn't be solved ahead of time. Now, I realize I just lost a lot of you there, okay? So don't worry about it. The good thing is that 
The original white paper is only eight pages long, and I guarantee that you can understand that. You can spend half an hour reading it and get what it says. So let's take a look. Uh, let's see. Okay, not here. Up. Oh, let me open it. I thought I had it open, but I did not. Okay, now it's open. Now I am. Okay, so you should be seeing it now. Here it is. Here's the original white paper written in 2009. It's got a couple charts. It's very short. It's eight pages. This is talking about the proof of work. This is talking about submitting it to the network. Those four things we talked about. And these last, you can even ignore this section six, incentive, section seven, reclaiming disk space. Um, you can ignore section eight. So you can even ignore all of these privacy if you're not worried. So it, it's in fact the first two pages. So very easy for you to try to understand. And that's where I recommend you start. All right. So now I, you imagine, I imagine you have questions about the blockchain. What is the blockchain? The blockchain is a list of all the transactions in Bitcoin's history since its inception. Okay. And a, a block, it's a series of blocks, what we call blocks, which is a data structure. A block is many transactions bundled together. So say about 10 transactions. So I give money to Paresh, Paresh gives money to Chintin, Chintin gives money to Koshik. So those are three different transactions. Those will be bundled together in what's called a block and the block will be submitted to the distributed ledger, which is just computers. It's just computers around the world that each having their own copy of the blockchain. So why is it important? Okay, so it's important because the ledger is immutable. That is, you can't change the ledger and everybody has a copy of the same ledger. Okay, why is it immutable? It's immutable because there's no way to reproduce the work faster than the chain, than the acceptance of the chain by all the computers on the network because the magic is that each block has to have a piece of information from the previous block. So if you're trying to play catch up in brute forcing these transactions, you will never catch up um, to the ledger that all the computers are storing. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from this technical discussion is the one way um, hash. The SHA-256 hash is just a function in a computer that you learned in your programming class. It takes any input and it performs this function and the output is a 256-bit fixed string length. So it's just a number. So it's 64-character number, okay? And the important thing for you to understand and to believe in is that it's a one-way thing. If you have an input, you can get an output. But if you have an output, you cannot go back and get an input. You cannot reverse the function and get the input. Now that's counterintuitive, right? 
Um, usually we think of mathematics as having transitive properties. That is, if two plus two equals four, I can have x plus two equal four, and I can say four minus two, oh, x must be two, okay? We cannot do that in a one-way hash. If I give you the output, you cannot then determine what an input is based on the mathematical properties of the hashing algorithm. So it's very important to know that. And so can anybody think of any other one-way things that we have exploited to create wealth? Uh, I mean, the thing I can think of is the semiconductor industry, right? We've exploited one-way um, transfer of electrons to power the whole semicon semiconductor industry. Uh, there are things in this universe that are one way, and it's important for you to understand that to start being, to start understanding crypto. So, so this hash, hash, hashing al algorithm, SHA-256, this is used by our governments to encrypt top secret data, top secret communications. Uh, it has been around for a long time, and there has never yet been a brute force attack on this hashing algorithm that allows somebody to guess the input given a particular output. Yes, Bobby. Yeah, so what I understood is with those transactions, you huge and the computer generates this unique one-way uh, token unit, whatever you want to call it. Um, is it based on all the transactions that took place that generated this one-way uh, unit? So the interesting and funny thing about crypto is that this hash is used all over the place. For example, this hash is used to, course, to correlate your public address with your private key. This hash is used to do quite a bit of things, but we're talking about the blockchain, and okay. that's correct. So this hash takes a hash of the previous block, and you have to insert some of that information into your current block before it is accepted by the network. So you have to um, know the hash of the previous block. And also, okay, so this is another way that the hash is being used. You have to hash your current block and that hash has to be below a difficulty target for it to be accepted by the network. That hash has to have a certain number of leading zeros, which is called the difficulty target which is adjusted um, such that a block is produced about every 10 minutes. And that's what they call crypto mining. Yes. So, so when we, we, if we can't go back and see what it consists of, how do you validate all of our, that information, what was there is what we're looking for. I, I just, I'm not get, grasping the whole concept. I understand that it's the first time I'm hearing those details. Sure, no problem. So the thing is, is that all the transactions, everybody can see all the transactions of Bitcoin since its inception. So we don't use the hash and try to guess what the input was. We have all the inputs. Oh, so see. we can know that this is correct because you had the last block, you performed the hashing algorithm on it, you got a piece of information. We can confirm that because we have the inputs. Yes, Burish. So, uh, so uh, 
is there like a central registry where all these transactions are 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 stored and is it, uh, or because I you know it sounds like these are distributed transactions and the validation of those has to be centralized at some point, right? No, in fact, that is one of the beauties of the system and how it's different from a bank. With your money in your bank, that is a centralized system. If somebody hacks into the bank, they just have to hack into one place. Um, forget about talking about backups or whatever, because the backup is still controlled by the bank. Okay, so this distributed ledger is just computers. Okay, and we call them nodes. And each node verifies whether it will accept the next block coming from other nodes. So there is no centralized system that is each node has a copy of the same ledger and each will accept it. Now there is some conflicts and some nodes may reject certain um, blocks, okay? So what happens is they resolve the conflict by um, there is a so-called race to see which block is actually the valid next block. And that's why the time between blocks are every 10 minutes, okay? But ultimately, over the span of 10 to 20 minutes, every node on the network will have the same uh, distributed ledger. So that the one of the beauties of the system is that it's decentralized. So uh, real quick, uh, a few months ago, there was a hack at Coinbase uh i mean we hear about it all the time there was somebody hacked uh like uh, they were recently arrested for four or five billion dollars apparently so if it is decentralized how were these people able to hack and get those those uh coins okay so there is the network and there is your ability to control your keys so your Bitcoins are represented by your private keys. It's like a password. If I know the private key, I can control where my Bitcoin goes. And because I, the, the ledger will show me that will show that the address associated with my private key, I have control over. All right. So when we, we say Coinbase was hacked, it's important to understand that the distributed ledger system was not hacked. What was hacked was their control over their private keys. Okay, so it's like saying um, some, um, someone stole money from my wallet. Okay, or somebody stole some or is writing bad checks in my name. Okay, that is a problem that is associated with my security. That's not a problem associated with the cash system that I use the money in my wallet for. That's not a problem with the checking system that I access with my checks. So what we're talking about is a hack of the wallets, not a hack of the distributed ledger. In fact, the distributed ledger system has never been hacked, despite an enormous financial incentive to do so. Okay, so let's talk about, um, uh, now that we have some of the technical aspects aside, I'm happy to answer any technical things. If you want, you can call me, I can talk your head off about this. I can, you know, uh, 
surely talk more than you'd be willing to hear about it. So let's talk about how to invest in crypto for beginners. The first thing to understand uh, for beginners, okay, is that Bitcoin is the only one that matters. It has the most credibility. It has the most legitimacy. It has the most networking effects from being the first to market. A lot of people are waiting. They're waiting for crypto to resolve into one winner because they see all these different ones out there and they don't know what to invest in and they don't know really how they're different from one another. But in fact, if you're waiting to do that, you'll be waiting forever. Because for some reason, people think that there should be just the one crypto. So I can worry about stocks and bonds and this and that, and I just waiting for the one crypto to invest in. But there we live in a world with multiple currencies. So we're going to be living in the world with multiple cryptocurrencies. And it's going to be just about how much power uh, you, you have to gain acceptance for your personal crypto. So there's going to be a Justin Bieber coin. And Justin Bieber is going to say, hey, if I can make people buy my merchandise only by uh, only with Justin Bieber coins, I'm going to do that because I'm going to receive a financial benefit from it. And people won't care because their phone will handle all the back end. Their phone, they have X amount of Bitcoin. That when they want to make a purchase from justinbieber.com, it will automatically convert, you know, a fraction of their total account of Bitcoin into Justin Bieber coin in order to pay for it. And they will receive back Justin their change and they will convert that back to Bitcoin. That will all happen seamlessly. And so living in a world of multiple cryptocurrencies is not going to be this nightmare of trying to figure out how to pay. It's just going to be I tap my phone and that's it. Um, and so the thing to remember for beginners is that Bitcoin is the only one you should start with. Okay. Uh, the next thing to remember is that you should only afford you. Oh, you should only invest in how much you can afford to lose. Okay. Don't it, it, it can, and it will go to zero and you have to be okay with that. Just like any other investment. Okay. Um, the other thing for people to remember, a lot of times I hear like, it's too expensive. I can't buy Bitcoin, but you can buy fractions of Bitcoins. In fact, Bitcoin comes, uh, goes up to eight decimal places. So if you want to purchase a hundred dollars of Bitcoin, that is perfectly acceptable. In fact, most people don't buy one Bitcoin. Okay. Most people buy fractions of Bitcoin. So the easiest thing to do is download an app on your phone. Yes, fresh. Hey, uh, sorry guys. Uh, this is so fascinating. So I keep asking you questions too. No problem. Uh, it's okay. Um, you mentioned uh, 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 that Bitcoin is the only one that matters, but uh, so why do you think uh, Elon Musk, in, you know, endorsed or, or backed that Dogecoin, if I remember it correctly? Uh, and Ethereum seems to uh, holding much better at times uh, in terms of volatility than Bitcoin. Uh, what 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 is the what, I mean I know there there may be hundreds of different just this if you can highlight one or two why why Musk went after or backed Jewish Sure, absolutely. Remember how we said your answers to Jainism questions depends upon where you are upon the spiritual path, and I could give you two different answers, and they could both be true because you're standing in a different reference frame. Same thing here. 
for beginners, the answer is Bitcoin is the only one that matters. But as you move along your path to crypto, right, you might be interested in others. For Ethereum, what people are excited about are smart contracts. That is, the network can hold contract information such that we can make a bet. You're in India. I'm in America. We make a bet on the Super Bowl. We submit our money to the network and the network automatically pays out the winner based on ESPN.com, who ESPN.com said won the Super Bowl. That's a kind of basic smart contract. You see that there was no middleman. Uh, well, technically, the middleman was the network, but theoretically, it's unbiased as long as you believe ESPN.com is unbiased. And there's no escrow agent. That is, we kind of put our money in escrow. The network was asking, acting as an escrow. So people like Ethereum uh, because of the smart contract functionality. Elon Musk was pushing Dogecoin because he had an investment in Dogecoin, plain and simple. Um, so different kind of cryptos have different characteristics. Some people think that Bitcoin is, the reality is Bitcoin is pseudo anonymous. Some people think that that's not enough. So they invented a crypto that was actually anonymous. So these are fighting for acceptance. They believe that a majority of the public will think that, uh, more security is better based on these trade-offs and that they're going to win, right? But nobody is going to beat Bitcoin because of networking effects. That is, if you read the history about first movers in various spaces, you'll realize that if capitalized on correctly, first movers have an advantage that cannot be overcome. And that is the case here. That is, if the stewards of Bitcoin are exploiting it correctly. So that was a long answer to say there are some interesting things happening with other people, but for beginners, Bitcoin is the only one that matters. Okay, um, so the simplest thing to do to invest in Bitcoin is to download an app on your phone, such as Coinbase. You connect it to either your bank account. If you don't like that, you can connect it to a credit card or a debit card. You might have to jump through a few more hoops, such as you might have to upload a picture of your driver's license. Um, uh, if you don't like that, well, then you're out of the beginner territory. Obviously, there are ways to access the Bitcoin network that don't involve security checks on who you are, but then you're not dealing with the ease of an exchange. You will have to bone up on the technical aspects a little bit more. Um, and it's as simple as pressing a button. Once you have your credit card linked, you say, I would like to buy a hundred Bitcoin and make sure you remember to invest in the ticker symbol BTC. There are some pretenders out there, um, with various degrees of legitimacy, but the names are confusing, such as Bitcoin Cash, which has a ticker name of BCH. Uh, people might think they're buying Bitcoin when they buy Bitcoin Cash, but that's not the case. So make sure you see the ticker BTC. Um, and so it's that easy. Um, you can watch your, your investment go up and down in the app on your phone. Once you get a little bit more advanced, once you get your toes wet, it's not recommended to keep your private keys on the app. When you're on the app, you do not have control of your private keys. And the saying in the Bitcoin world is if it's not your keys, it's not your coins because Coinbase is now acting as your biased middleman. But for beginners, it's not feasible for them to be in charge of their own private keys. So that's your next step. Once you have 
your $100 on Coinbase and you're interested in it and you actually, and that's the other thing that kind of got lost. See for yourself the revolutionary power. That is, if you want, I will send you money and you will see how easy it is to tap three to four buttons on your phone and you get money. Now, in the world of Venmo and PayPal, you may not think that that's kind of any revolution, okay? And that's because you're overbanked. You live in the US. You have quite a few banking services at your disposal. If you live in some place like Africa, if you live in some in a village in India, you are underbanked. You don't have those resources at your disposal. You PayPal is never going to accept you. Venmo is never going to accept you. You know, Chase Bank is never going to accept you. This is what you have and it's revolutionary <clears throat> if you consider what normal people are going through. Okay, so that's an easy way to invest in Bitcoin for beginners. Uh, I want to leave enough time for questions. I know there's probably a bunch of questions. So let's go into further reading. Um, just two items for further reading. <clears throat> one is um, more casual and one is very technical. So let me show you these items. Okay, so if you want a book, let's see, do I have it up here? No. Okay. So if you want a book to show you about the future of Bitcoin, I recommend this book by Mr. Andreas Antonopoulos. It's called The Internet of Money. It was published in 2016. There's a sequel, but a lot of these are out of date, but it's still the basics, of course, will never be out of date, um, but it's still a great way to get you inside. I recommend this for to the more casual reader about the significance that crypto will have on the future of humanity. And I also recommend if you want something more technical, I recommend, let's see if I can find it. There is a book that was written by professors at Princeton University called Bitcoin and Cryptocurrency Technologies, also in 2016. So it's by Arvind Narayanan, Joseph Banyu, Edward Felton, Andrew Miller, Stephen Goldfeder. And um, this is a textbook, okay? So it's uh, 308 pages, but it's a great reference. Um, if you have the time, if you have specific questions about what is mining, about well, how does this hash algorithm work? I want to understand. This is where you should go. So those are my two recommendations for further reading. Oh, I had a question. Yes. Is uh, crypto a bigger enabler of fraud and illegal activity than the regular and I'm not saying the Federal Reserve and all the other government-controlled entities aren't running their own scheme, but would this crypto market enable uh, higher criminal activity? Not any higher than cash because crypto is used as cash, so it doesn't enable more illegal activity than cash does. I just think as uh, the people start getting used to it more and more, it seems that uh, they'll find ways to hide uh, hide their cash or hide their activities. Sure, yeah. Uh, people find ways all the time to try to hide their activities and crypto is no, um, it doesn't enable that any 
more than cash. Uh, certainly, I'm seeing cases where uh, the husband is hiding assets in crypto that he's trying to hide from the wife, but that's been going on since the, there's been marriage, right? So there's just certainly um, uh, certainly bad actors will use tools, uh, just like any tools, um, for bad things. Yes, I can share the paper. I will share that with the WhatsApp group, the eight-page paper by the inventor of Bitcoin. Um, so last thing I want to talk about, then we can open it up to questions, is NFTs. NFTs is the most recent, very popular application of blockchain technology. NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. And a lot of people have questions about the, <clears throat> similar to how we talked about how can crypto be worth anything? Well, how can NFTs be worth anything? And there are three things you need to understand to appreciate where we are in the NFT moment. That is the concept of a long felt need. So let's say the internet was popularly adopted in 1995. So between 1995 and 2017, there's been a long felt need for artists to be able to capitalize on their digital art. In 1995 through 2017, it was the wild, wild west. Everybody can copy any kind of people. First of all, people didn't think digital art was art, which is absurd on its face. Um, next, people didn't have any ways aside from the normal channels to capitalize on their digital artwork. That is, if somebody uh, it was so easy to copy digital artwork that everybody did it. And if somebody did it, you'd have to find a lawyer like me and the lawyer would send a cease and desist. And who knows where that person is because of the internet. It's not like you can track down that person. And it's not like you'll get any money if you did track down that person to pay your lawyer, right? For copyright infringement. So that is a long time for this long felt need. Usually most of our long felt needs are handled very well by industries and businessmen coming up. So from 1995 to 2017, that is an extremely long time to have this very basic long felt need go unaddressed. The next thing you need to understand is speculation. That is, when a new technology appears on the scene, there's naturally speculation. We all remember the internet bubble. I don't think I have to explain it any more than that. The third thing you need to understand is that the art market is a shell game used by rich people to store assets. And if you'd like more on that, I really recommend a podcast. They did a three-part series about the business side of the art market on Freakonomics Radio podcast. Really recommend that. When you realize that high-end art is a game that rich people play, aside from the value of the artwork, it's a game about money that rich people play that has nothing to do with the subjective experience of art. So when you understand these three things, you understand why people would pay $27 million for 84 pictures of monkeys that are you can hardly tell apart, okay? When you understand long felt need, when you understand speculation, and when you, and you understand that art is a shell game that rich people play, you can realize how people could make an NFT of an article that they just wrote, put it online as a farce, and that made that person $3 million, okay? Because we're in a speculative market that's addressing a long-felt need that is disrupted by rich people. So now you can understand how it will even out 
and it will some and you won't see those high valuations anymore but people get really crazy when they see these well how can people pay a billion dollars for this art that anybody can copy it's not about not being able to copy it's about perfecting title between the artist and the various people along the way that is perfecting the chain of title obviously you can right click save as any picture of any monkey and make it your profile picture we're not talking about that we're talking about perfecting the chain of title from the artist to the current buyer and all the stops in between. So that's my, you know, five minute primer on NFTs. I'm happy to answer any questions about anything we talked about. We talked about seashells. We talked about the theory of crypto. Then we talked about the technical aspects of crypto. Um, then we talked about how to invest in crypto for beginners. And then we concluded with NFTs. Any questions or comments about any of that? Yes, Burish. Um, uh, I have a lot of questions about NFT, so we'll leave that, you know, for some other session. Hopefully, you'll do one on NFTs later. Uh, I would love it. Uh, but uh, coming back to the cryptos, how do you see a volatility? You know, when 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 you when you let's say go from forty thousand. I mean, from from nothing to four to forty to sixty, and then back to forty and thirty, and that sort of volatility uh, is that. I mean, it's it, isn't that uh, negative for the acceptance part of crypto? Yes, it is because it is currently not a good store of value. It is a store of value, but it's not a good one. And that will ameliorate over time because we are still in the price discovery phase. As more and more people are adopting crypto, that value is going to increase. Okay. And so we are still so early that is not a good store of value because of that volatility. But that doesn't mean we won't get there. Other questions or comments about anything we talked about? Just a comment for those who may be investing in Bitcoin. Uh, there is a pretty decent fee, uh, whether it's charged by Coinbase or whatever, and it's, it's a variable component depending on what time of the day uh, that one is uh, uh, undertaking the transaction. So I was quite a bit surprised, actually. Right. There is a fee for each transaction and that fee is collected by the person that assembles the, um, is it? Um, there is a fee for each transaction. Um, and so that is important to, to know. Uh, it's not, uh, free because the people that support the network collect those fees. Yes, Parish. So, uh, on that, to follow up on that, let's say I buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, am I, am I required to pay the fee for, for buying the coffee in Bitcoin? Yes, absolutely. You are required to pay that fee. Oh, and is it percentage of the transaction or is it a flat fee or how does that work? So you can set the fee, you can decide how much. Um, so when a miner assembles a block, he will he will accept when you submit a transaction to the network, 
you are hoping that a miner assembles it into the next block. And a miner will take the highest fees paid, okay? So, and it depends on the time, okay? It's kind of like surge pricing in Uber. It's about supply and demand. If there's a lot of demand at that time, the fees to be included in a block are higher. If there's not a lot of demand, the fees are lower. And it'll just, you'll just have to wait a little bit longer for your transaction to be included in a block. So if you want to be included in the very next block, you want to pay higher fees. If you don't care if it gets there tomorrow, then you'll pay lower fees. Okay, so uh, I assume you've used this, uh, you know, extensively. Uh, give me just, if you can, uh, if you if I bought a cup of coffee at Starbucks and paid with Bitcoin, how much fees will I be charged? Uh, cents. Yeah, probably on the order of cents. Okay, like 10 cents? Yeah, yeah, because Bitcoin is divisible up to eight places, right? So, in fact, you can have, you can have what's called one Satoshi is point zero 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 one Bitcoin might be less than a cent still at this point. Um, I don't hold me to that, but it's probably less than a cent. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate that. Thank you for the great topic. Hey, great job, Neil. Thanks a lot, man. This was very informative. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.